Planet Pod, essential listening for everyone who cares about the planet. Welcome to Planet Pod with me, Amanda Carpenter, and the third programme in our joint series with the Grantham Institute, Climate Change and Environment at Imperial College London. The Institute is home to some of the world's leading scientists, researchers and innovators, whose combined expertise offer us inspiring visions of what a zero carbon future could be like. As we work our way through the series, I'm struck again and again by the interconnectedness of all the topics we are discussing, which highlights how tackling climate change, working towards a net zero carbon world, will only be possible if we can take an integrated systems thinking approach. If we are to achieve an environmental balance, then we have to tackle each of the elements as part of a whole. And our topic today particularly illustrates that, so we're talking about waste. To discuss the complexities of waste, I'm delighted to welcome my guests, Chris Cheeseman and Nick Vulvulis. Chris is Professor of Materials Resources Engineering at Imperial College and the leader of a major research group working on the beneficial reuse of waste materials and resource efficiency within the Environmental and Water Resource Engineering section. Goodness, that's a mouthful. He's also director of the EPSRC, Centre for Doctoral Training in Sustainable Civil Engineering. The main focus of his research is on sustainable use of materials, waste management and resource efficiency. This is key to achieving more sustainable development and provides significant opportunities for innovation and I know we're going to be talking about that. Nick Vulvulis is a Professor of Environmental Technology at Imperial. He's an international expert in environmental management, especially where science and engineering interface with public policy. His research targets the interactions and interdependencies between human and natural systems and focuses on environmental systems and processes across many areas and diverse sectors. It is really about the application of science to solve environmental problems and sustainability challenges. In other words, technology in its original meaning. So Chris and Nick, welcome and thank you so much for joining us on Planet It's a pleasure to be here. I don't think many people give waste much of a second thought, really. I mean, our attitude is probably that we do some recycling, put things in the correctly labelled bin, and then off it goes for someone else to think about. But this is a huge and challenging topic, isn't it? And the emphasis has shifted from waste disposal to the beneficial reuse of materials and waste as resources themselves. So, Chris, I wonder if I could ask by but start by asking you to give us a kind of context and a little bit of an explanation about how things are now and how they're changing. Yeah, I mean, uh, waste has definitely um, come up the uh, the priority list, but it's still uh, for many people. Um, uh, it, they don't really see it. They put the the bins out and uh, they disappear, and uh, they don't really think about it. To be honest, um, materials the materials we use that make up waste have never been in the public eye in the way they are now, and uh, so yeah, the whole circular economy thing and how we keep uh, materials in the economic cycle has become uh, a much more uh, much more in the public eye. But the basics of waste management are have remained. Pretty fun, pretty much the same. So you know, in terms of the disposal options we have, you know, there's no new silver bullet process that is going to help us uh, uh, with that disposal. We have 
in terms of their environmental uh, degradation. In, in other countries, we have waste dumps. Right. In the UK, we don't have waste dumps, really. We have properly engineered landfill sites um, that, that, that should, if they run properly, control all the environmental emissions from the waste that's put into them. And we have energy from waste using combustion. They're the two main uh, disposal options in the UK. And then on top of that, of course, we don't really dispose to landfill of waste we dispose, or, or to energy from waste. Waste, we dispose of residual waste. And the residual, residual waste is what is left after we've extracted all the good stuff, if you like, the stuff that we can actually reuse and keep in the circular economy. And we need to maximise that fraction and minimise the the stuff that we actually that actually goes for disposal. Yeah. So, so actually, if we go back maybe thirty years ago, much more of our general waste was going off to landfill, wasn't it? I mean, you know, in those those old fashioned sites of you know huge piles of waste with seagulls and bulldozers, and so well, so we we have got better at picking out and reusing stuff, haven't we? We have got a lot better. I mean, uh, we we. We were very, we've been very fortunate in the UK, actually, because we've had, uh, we have the right geology for good landfill sites. We have lots of big clay deposits and, and big clay extraction industries, like brick manufacture, that have produced, that produce over the years huge great holes in the ground that were ideal and naturally very good at, at retaining any 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 things which were coming out from the waste, which always which always happens. So uh, yeah, when I started at Imperial quite a few years ago now, we were very high landfill, very low energy from waste and relatively low recycling. So uh, yeah. what, what's going into the landfill now, if so much more is being recycled? What are the bits that you cannot recycle that go into landfill? When we say landfill, well, we are talking about holes in the ground that we then cover over with... with no, I, I would say we're not talking about holes in oh, the okay. ground. We're talking about engineered structures, actually. I right. mean, we do a whole lecture course on landfill engineering <laughs> at Imperial. All right. Can uh, do it in two minutes? <laughs> yeah, I can. I can. So <laughs> a, a proper, properly run landfill site is not a waste dump. Oh, okay. There's a big difference between a waste dump and a properly engineered landfill site. A properly engineered landfill site has a properly engineered containment liner system. It has a leachate extraction system so that any water... The leachate is the contaminated liquid which we're really concerned about. Okay. Because any water going into the waste picks up the degradation products from the waste and that constitutes landfill leachate. And what we really don't want is landfill leachate getting out from the landfill and into groundwater which happens in other parts of the world, but that's a, another another issue. But in a properly engineered landfill site, that's extracted and then treated. Okay. Uh, the other part of the landfill is the, at the top, so that's the bottom bit. The top bit is a landfill liner, which tries to stop infiltration of water into the landfill, but also a gas collection system. So we're, we're, I'm sure we're going to come on to this in a minute, but... Yeah, the degradation of waste under under low oxygen anaerobic conditions produces methane. Methane actually is a fuel, mm-hmm. and uh, properly run engineered landfills don't let that methane go to the environment, but they actually collect it and use it as a fuel. Okay, so that's the kind of so, waste to heat analogy yes, that people from, might have been affiliate, familiar from, with from landfills. Okay, yes, yeah. that's that that was a big technology, but it's it's gone down now because the amount of waste going to landfill has gone down significantly. So in terms of kind of percentages or proportions, I mean, how much generally across the UK, and I know we want to talk about the global picture as well, but just just for the UK for the moment, how much of our waste is being 
recycled, how much of it is going into into managed landfill, managed waste management system, and about how much of it is going into heat heat power. What would you say? So, so, so you, you can, what Chris said earlier, it's, it's what we call residual waste that goes to landfill or incineration. Now, this is everything that can be recycled or cannot be composted. So what sort of thing is it, would that be? You know, what's residual waste? Well, it, 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 it will be it will be the the plastics that cannot be recycled. Anything that you okay. you cannot put in your green bin, so that your local council doesn't collect for recycling, but it goes in your so black bin. So those famous black plastic trays that everybody exactly. talking about, right? Okay, yeah. and anything really that doesn't have value, really. Uh, oh, okay. Because <laughs> if it's got value, people will take it out for sure. Yeah. Right. Or we don't have the process. The, the, or, or there's not the, the processes to, to recycle them to process them. Yeah. I wanted to, to mention something else on this. You can see the waste management as having two objectives. Mm-hmm. The one is minimizing the environmental impacts of the disposal and landfill. Yeah. You know, Chris explained that engineered landfills do that very well. Incineration does that very well. But there's another aspect which is the kind of the the resource management, which is not losing. Uh, resources out of outside the economy so so it is not uh, historically it was all about public health mm-hmm. so it was mainly about reducing the environmental impacts of disposal increasingly it has been about the recovery of materials the there is keeping uh, resources into the economy so that's why it's becoming more important to think about so when you say resources we're talking about things that can be reused and have another value beyond their original life is that what you're saying so extracting stuff from the waste process that we can use in exactly. other places so, so, so you think if any product we use or any services we use rely on natural resources we extract them from nature we use them and then we dispose of them you know that's a very linear approach and it's just results in, in waste well higher demand in resources so, so the idea is that how waste management resources management can be used to close that loop so you, so you don't have the, the dependency on resources but you are reducing the, the the resources that are wasted or are leaving the economy and I think that's almost in the developed world that's where the focus is now because we have dealt with more of the public health issues yeah but that recycling fraction that fraction it tends to plateau out doesn't it Nick I mean you know what 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 are we what have we been achieving it's about 40 to 50 percent recycled waste for municipal solid waste we're talking about municipal solid waste here that's the stuff that you and I produce so 40 to 50 percent of our waste can be recycled and it's it's actually proven to be very difficult to get it much above that so what's happening to the other that would go for that would be the residual waste that would then have to be to go for disposal either land or and and the the, the two options as I explained were landfill Uh, Nick uses the incineration word. I use the energy from waste word because well, it's yes. more, more than this. But you have to see, I think Chris is looking from an engineering point of view and he's right, right? Because you, there is so much you can do in terms of processing and getting materials back. You see it from a policy point of view and if you see the, in the bigger picture, then there's other things you can do. For example, to reduce the amount that you dispose. So how much you're using products, how you use products, you know, how long their shelf life is. So in theory, that's still part of resources management and waste yep. management. Yep. So you can almost see that, that when we refer to, you know, where the, the European Union has been driving policy in this area for years. So yes. you can see that this is all about uh, more big, the bigger picture in terms of waste management, not just kind of the, the disposal or the... Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we need to look at the whole life cycle of materials much more. Right. You know, where they're coming from, how they use, where they're going from. But waste management is about, you know, waste is about, you know, what, where are we talking? We're talking about yep. products that no one wants to use, no one needs anymore. What happens to them? But you're, you're dead right, Nick. I mean, looking at the, the whole life cycle is critically important as we move forward to make things that are more recyclable, uh, that are 
are circular economy friendly, if you like. Presumably yeah. that's where kind of the innovation work comes in, isn't it? And you're talking about, you know, um, if we can use materials in a way that's smarter, if we can use fewer of them, we actually produce less waste because we're putting less in at the system at the beginning. So we've got less of a problem to deal with at the end. So that's important. But I just wanted to, to, to pick up on this, this phrase circular economy because some people may not be aware of what that actually means. What do we mean when we talk about a circular economy? Well, What's the... Can I just, before, before we cover this, let's, just as a background, we talked about the history. And, and you see how materials changing through, change through time has to do with what materials we use in the market, what are the consumer products, you know, what industry okay. is producing. So, so historically, the waste has been increasing because of economic development. We have more money power, we have been buying more stuff, we're creating more waste. From one side, policy is encouraging us to avoid waste, from the other stuff, the economy wants us to buy more stuff. So that's the kind of <laughs> rise of consumerism and, and exactly. mass consumption and exactly. products yeah, and packaging are, and all yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. And what we often refer to as a linear economy, the, okay. that you, you produce, you extract your resources, you produce materials and services, people are consuming it, and then at the end of life, they're disposing them or emissions through their, their consumption. So, so that, that model is, is very limited because of the dependency on resources from, from extraction and the pollution. Yeah, and we're running also, out of resources exactly. effectively, aren't we? You know, we're overusing the planet. We haven't got enough time to, you know, the planet isn't regenerating the resources we need. So, so your alternative is a circular economy, which is non-linear. Yes, so, so because we reach the level that actually this, 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 this model doesn't even work anymore. We do not have the resources to continue with the rest of the planet. The, the, the main model that we're referring to is what we call a decoupling. The circular economy Sorry, a what is decoupling, decoupling. Decoupling economic growth okay. from resources and consumption. So that's almost the, 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 the concept have a circular economy. It's the idea of continuing to grow economically even without the dependency on resources, which means that you have to find alternative ways of circular flows that have to do with first for recycling and then reusing, then thinking about other more advanced models of the economy, like moving from products to services and trying to find ways to almost, the main objective is decoupling economic growth from pollution and from the, the, the demand on natural resources. So if we're decoupling, we're not just stopping people from purchasing things or are we trying to encourage people to purchase and use things for a longer period of time to actually to get away from this kind of throwaway society ethic um, in, in, in the economies we're talking about. We're talking about advanced economies here. We're yes. not talking about developing economies because that's a different conversation, isn't it? So we're trying to say we'll take the economic driver out of the production system. So we'll say, you know, you, you, you buy what you need, you use it, you extend its lifetime, you repair it. Exactly. You know, those old kind of the three R's of, you know, <laughs> reduce, reuse, recycle. You're spot you know. on because that's the challenge. You know, we have the economic system, which has different drivers to, 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 the, to the environmental one. So how can you, uh, people still be able to buy things, improve their quality of life, but, but without the impacts on the environment? And the, the idea is that, you know, you have a longer period of uh, self-life of products, you have guarantees, you have the ability to not to, to throw away anytime that something breaks down, but you replace it, you upgrade it also, you know, because a new model comes out, you don't have to get rid of your of, mm. of the one you bought last year, whatever yeah. that is, an yeah. iPhone or something else. So, and, and ultimately moving totally away from products and ownership, and if you think for a lot of the goods we have, we don't really want the ownership. You know, it's not the fridge you want, it's the service it provides. You know, it's not the car you want, it's the mobility. So you can see that in oh, the future, okay. the yeah. ultimately economy is moving towards one that, that we separate function from products and we think about services. You see, this is what I love about talking to guys from Imperial because underneath these sort of slightly, you know, slightly intimidating, says she, who's not an Imperial student, um, professional professor exteriors, we have revolutionaries. You know, I've got two more revolutionaries 
she's in the studio today. They want to change the economic system. They want to change our approach to ownership. So you're talking about shared ownership. You're talking about community resources. Well, I love it. I yeah, love it. We'd like to, of course. There are big <laughs> barriers to making that happen. Yeah. You know, because companies, what, 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 you know, the, the basic economic, and Nick will know better than this, better than me about that, but, but it's about making stuff and selling stuff. And, and putting stuff out there. But we have to move it, away we, from that model because that well, model well, isn't working, well, is it? We do We do have to, yes, I, I totally agree. But, you know, we do know how to do waste management. It's not rocket science. We, we, we can we, we can have recycling. We, we, do, we can dispose of stuff in a way which will not harm the environment. Um, you know, we have a very effective waste management industry in the UK. It's but, incredibly good. I mean, th that's why it's so low profile, really. But um, surely we want to make less... The disposal less, side of it, anyway. We want to make less waste, though, don't we? I mean, ultimately, what we're saying about is if, if yes, we could we, have a world in which we're not just really good at managing our waste, but we're actually putting less waste into the system, the yep. kind of economy yep. that yep. And, and, and world that, that Nick was just describing, that right. has to be better because that's reducing yeah. our toll on the planet in terms of resources that, and it's also presumably making life better for everybody because there's fewer carbon emissions that, that's what my my research is all about it's about you know identifying waste materials and trying to find new applications for them so that they're not labeled as waste but they are raw materials for other products or they're used in other ways that that's a that's a, and that's a fantastic area to be in of course because there's yeah. huge opportunities for innovation in that fascinating area. have you got an example of where of, of a material that you've being able to do that with or other people have done that with so that one that you know maybe five years ago we thought of it as a waste product and now it's something that's oh, more useful. Oh you're me on the spot now let me just think about that. I'll let you think well, about well, it well, and well, I'm going to ask Nick to talk about the circular economy. Say that I, I agree with Chris in, in a way that you need both so, so if you look at the circular economy there are different types of circular flows so you need some products that you want them to stay in the economy for as long as, as, you, as they can. But there so that's are like a big ticket expensive item to produce, like a car or like a washing a car machine. Or a washing machine okay. or something that, that you don't have. To, even clothes in some respects, things that, you, you know, that, that they do not lose value, that they do not, they, 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 they can keep, serve their function, mm -hmm. right? There's no loss of function. And you have other stuff like food or, or other materials that you want them to quickly flow them in the economy to get them back and reprocessed. So, so although you have one group of products that you wanted to have very big cycles, you have another, 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 a lot of other flows of material that you want them small cycles and very quickly to be used and come out, but reprocessed and come back, so that we don't use new resources but keep okay. reusing those ones. Okay. And this is things like paper, th th things like anything that almost we, local authorities or, or the waste industry, which is which is very advanced in this country, can efficiently collect, reprocess, and, and, okay. so and feed into manufacturing. That's the recycling exactly. bit of this picture, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So I've had time to think now. <laughs> I know it's really mean putting you on the spot like that, isn't it? No, but no, no. It's it's just that I was I was thinking about municipal solid waste, which is what we think of as waste. But of course, municipal solid waste is only a very small part, in fact, of the total waste that we produce. A lot of the waste we produce is is from industry, mm. and so my work has much more been focused on on industrial type waste. So particularly things like combustion ashes. Okay. Um, uh, from things like coal-fired power station fly ash, which is a, a huge ash, uh, oh, a huge waste. Um, incinerator bottom ash, which is the, the the solid residue after you've uh, you know from an energy from waste facility. We've done a lot of work on on developing new new construction products from that. Uh, so that's just, taking an ash, which is effectively just something that would have been chucked on a slag heap or a landfill site, and, and turning it into something you can well, really it, use? Actually, it's not quite... Um, the, the ash actually is, contains a lot of valuable stuff. 
Okay. Uh, so there's what, a, there's minerals already, or? Uh, well, metals. Okay. I mean, if, if you burn municipal solid waste, it is amazing how much uh, steel, copper, aluminium and other stuff is in there, which actually is much easier to get out from the ash than it is from the, the, the front end of the, of the okay. energy okay. from waste plant. So that's all taken out. Um, you can process it, process the, the, the mineral part of it into aggregates, but there's always uh, maybe 40% or so of, of fine material, which actually also contains some pretty exotic metals that don't combust, in, they're not in the combustion process, they, they end up in the bottom ash, which you can extract or, or we, what we were doing was making a, a lightweight, lightweight aggregate, which is used in certain construction areas uh, from that material. So that, that's one example. Absolutely fascinating. I, I do want, I mean, I know we've got some other things to say about innovation, but I just wanted to ask Nick a little bit about water because, I mean, for many people, water is a waste product, isn't it? Because we waste a huge amount of water. It goes through the system. And a lot of the research you've been doing is looking at the, at, at, at water and extracting some of the you know the pollutants from water so we can reuse water because water is going to be one of our major climate challenges isn't it moving yes. forward to the next 10 years I mean it's it's already a challenge I mean, for a lot just of also to make the link to the circular economy if you think that uh, the circular economy is about keeping materials in, in circular flows water is the most obvious one because actually the natural cycles for water are actually the same timing with, 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 with humanity. So, so you can see it actually circling in, well, some of the other materials like heavy metals, they take you know, centuries for them to, go, to, to fully come back and, and you have, have a full natural cycle in terms of how they work in volcanoes and, and, and geology and rest. So, so you, you, water, you have the opportunity to actually mimic the natural cycles and therefore not just see it as something that you abstract, use, and then you dispose in a way that you create both depletion of, of reserves because of how much you need and in terms of how much you might pollute when you put it back into the environment if your pollution treatment is not effective which is the case in most of the developing world so the idea is is instead of having to to have this cost twice this this, this engineer this processing twice so treating water when you abstract and treating it again when you're putting it back into the environment the idea is that you 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 do it this once, you close the loop, and, and, and you, you can just directly reuse water by, by treating it to really high standards. So how does that happen? Does that happen in what we would all traditionally think of as sewage plants, water treatment plants? Well, where's this, where's it, this going on? Typically, let's say in, 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 in London, let's say our water comes from the river Thames. Or, or you know the tributaries. So so we we abstract it, we clean it in drinking water treatment plants. We use it and then we dispose of it. it it's again cleaning it in waste in wastewater treatment plants, big plants, and it's put back into the river. That's again quite linear, although it is not really because indirectly we are abstracting the same water that came out of the toilets in Oxford further upstream. So yeah. it's indirect water. They do say that Thames water has been through ten people before yes. you drink it. But, but look at Berlin, for example. In Berlin, they treat the wastewater, they put it down to the aquifers. And then they abstract it with no chlorination and they drink it. So, so it, it is direct, almost direct water use, and it's it is because it, the, the, the water that is produced from the wastewater treatment is so it's high quality that that it's almost better than the groundwater they have, and oh. then they can just so it, they're just putting it there mainly for public perception issues or because of storage availability. So in a lot of other countries, in California, this happens now. In Namibia is a very famous case study in in Africa where this has been happening for years. You know, as, as we run out of water, we come up with, with very innovative solutions. And I think that's almost the one that mimics nature and is the most obvious one. And then kind of on a domestic level, we could use water more efficiently, couldn't we? I mean, we could use far more grey water in our domestic lives than we'd actually do, couldn't we? If we designed our system slightly differently. Yes, although there also in terms of public perception, there's an issue because 
you know, you use about 150 liters of water per day directly if you live in London, you know, our average. You know, you use almost three times that based on the electricity you use. So, so the electricity in, in your household takes three times more water to, to be produced. And the food in your household takes five times more water to be produced. So, so, so it's, and that water probably doesn't come from here, it comes from other places of the planet. So you can see that the whole story is, is not always, as, 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 it's quite complex. So, yeah. so you have to almost see it as, as being efficient is a good thing anyway, but you have to look at the whole process so of... That indirect consumption as opposed to the direct consumption, it's the eight, it's the eight baths full of water for one t-shirt thing, isn't it? You know? Exactly. So where you buy your t-shirts from, you know, if it comes from, from the RLC, you know, near Kazakhstan, where, where it has, or the water has been used there for, to, to irrigate for cotton, then, you, you know, you are contributing to that, to that um, problem. So you have to almost see kind of how connected the world is and how, how, kind of how you have to see the big picture in some respects. I think that's the point, isn't it? We aren't just talking about us here in the UK, are we? We're talking about this as part of a much bigger global picture. And, and Chris, you were saying earlier that actually we can't just look at waste management here. We've got to think about this as a global issue and how we kind of connect with other countries and the, some of those policies and the, the strategies that we need to put in place to, to, to manage this globally. Yeah, uh, waste management is a, is a huge global issue that doesn't quite get the coverage and attention that I feel it should do. Um, I mean, we know how to do waste management. We, we do it, as I, as I believe, pretty well in the UK. There are some, some things we definitely need to improve on. But, you know, we are way ahead of other countries. And a lot of the problems and the perception about waste in the UK actually comes from poor waste management in developing countries, I have to say, where Again, we know how to do waste management, but waste management costs money. Properly engineered landfill sites cost money. Collection systems that work cost money. Uh, energy from waste facilities obviously cost a lot of money. I mean, they're, they're not necessarily appropriate for, for developing countries in many cases. But, um, you know... And haven't we been exporting some of our waste? Well, I mean, we that, have. You know, the famous, yes. stuff, you know, plastic yes. to China. Purely, and... for, purely for economic reasons, yeah. because that's the, 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 the best place for them to go from an economic point of view. And, and then we, we're exporting them to countries which have poor waste management. And then we wonder why we end up with plastics in the ocean. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, you know, the plastics in the ocean thing, um, it is is really very much related to poor waste management in developing countries because, I mean, what is this? Seven billion, seven and a half billion people on the planet. There's two billion people that don't even have waste collection systems, let alone proper disposal. Yeah. So you know, what are they? If you, if you visit these places, you know, you will see you will see waste everywhere in, in huge parts of Africa yeah. Yeah. and Southeast Asia. You know, waste is everywhere. And so, of course, it ends up in waterways. Yeah. So, of course, it ends up going into the ocean. And I just, you know, I, I don't want to so get too annoyed here. But, but, you know, some of the things, some of the, some of the, 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 the policies and things which have been implemented in the UK give, may give people a very warm, glowing feeling. But in terms of plastics in the ocean, they are going to have no impact at all, really, unfortunately. So, so we've exported both our our product, but also our byproducts. We've exported the waste ourselves, but we've also exported all of that kind of, you know, the, the production of those plastic bottles to start with to those countries that have no way of sensibly disposing of them. So, you know, we're kind of doubly responsible. And, aren't we? and, and I think you have to see it in context. I mean, 
it was really the, the global economic system. So, so Chris is right, it was cheaper to do that, but because it, it was because we didn't have the facilities in the UK, it was because you could almost see it like a global circular economy. You know, we were, we were giving resources to China, they were buying them, and we're giving them them because that's where the, the, the products we buy were produced. Mm-hmm. So in, in a global flow of materials, that made sense. But if China had the same levels of standards, the same quality controls, the same, you know, protections of the environment in terms of legislation, it would have been a different story. At the same time, you know, the quality of the material that we have been sending obviously has been quite relaxed. And I think that's another issue. But uh, when you talk about the plastics, I think that looking at the waste is also a misleading concept because you have to look at the whole perspective and why do we need plastics? How we, why we're using so much? You know, why do we need all these plastics? And, I find it fascinating that sometimes we're worried about the, the, the impacts of plastics to the environment and, and indirectly to our, to our health and not directly uh, the impacts to our health from, from, from using exposure, exposure to them. Mm. It's, it's a bit almost hypocrite or paradoxical that, that, that we worry about you know, the environment and about whales and about, about the impacts of plastics when there is concern about exposure to plastics. Yeah, yeah it's really not the plastics' fault. No, to say. it's not. It's, you know, plastics, Plast- are, plastics, plastics are, wonder are, material. are wonderful materials. They are yep. one of the great, you know, technological feats of the 20th century, I guess you'd say. And, and let's be honest, they're recyclable. Yeah. I mean, well, there, are, there are multi-layer materials which are difficult to recycle and we can come back and talk about whether they should be on the market at all. But your basic plastics, your, you know, your low-density, high-density polyethylene, your, um, P, you know, um, polypropylene, they're all recyclable materials. So yeah. it's not the plastics' fault that they end up in the ocean. Of course it's, it's the, not. It's the, it's the rubbish waste management systems that don't support <laughs> those materials. But, of but, course, we do, we do use excessive amounts of plastic, yeah, we so, do. We so do. we do need to cut down on that. But that's the, uh, that, that is a key I think it's, point. It's the wrong use of plastic, isn't it? It's not the plastic It's itself. the wrong use it's, of plastic. As, as Sean from Plastic Planet always says, put it back on its pedestal. Let's it's, use plastic where we need it. Let's use plastic where we, but let's, let's not, not beat yes. plastic and, and, and not recognise, uh, uh, let's not recognise that it's not a great, great, yeah. fantastic material that, that delivers great benefits to, yeah. to, to mankind. But, 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 but we don't want it going to developing countries where there's no waste management. Yes. I think uh, what you have to admit also is that what pla- whatever you think about globalization, you have to consider that plastics enabled it. So, so otherwise, we wouldn't be able to have the packaging that we can actually transport across the planet. So, you know, you used to have the milk bottles, you know, you have, you, the, there's lots of things that plastics allowed us to do in an economic system and change how we, how we live our lives. And, and, it's, and there are more fundamental changes that we don't always see. And it has to do almost with how we now produce things in one part, part of the world and we use them in another part of the world. And we think that all this is fine. And I'm not sure if it always is. So yeah. I want to go back to your point about the, the shared economy, because you've talked about the circular economy, but actually you, you touched on that point and we kind of moved on quite quickly, which was, you know, this idea that we might be able to manage some of this stuff and take stuff out of the flow by having a more advanced shared economy where we don't have everybody has the same thing. We share resources. How, how practical do you think that is? Nick? Well, think, think of it. Chris's material research has shown us that we can produce materials that last for long. Other kind of, but, but that's not always to the benefit of the industry because traditionally they want us to buy things, use them, dispose of them, so to can buy new things. And that is really how the market has been working. 
the evidence is that we have the, 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 the capacity to produce materials that will last for long. We know this in terms of, it's what we call, we use called, you know, designed obsolescence, the idea mm -hmm. that we actually create products designed to fail so that we can buy new ones. And there's lots of examples. If, if, we, if we move away from that, there is a lot of opportunities for engineering, for science, to develop and facilitate this process of creating sustainable materials and sustainable products, and then move into the idea of actually not you know, having to buy the products, but actually, since they are, they are there to last for long, how will the business make money, right? So the whole idea is that, is that because they will design them to last, because they will de design them to be fixable, you know, to be upgraded, then the ownership stays with them. And therefore, you move into a model that it's more of a service approach, and you get the benefit because it's cheaper, you have to remember that, and it's cheaper for, for, for them, and, and the whole society benefits. And that's... See, so I see. <laughs> this is an economic revolution that you're calling for, <laughs> driven by science and driven by materials and... And, and, and the research that you've done. It happens already in business. Yes. So, so, so that's the th other thing. You know, British Airways doesn't own its engines anymore. You know, it, it, it's a service that Rolls-Royce provides. They look after the engines, the, the whole thing, and, and, and they don't have to buy a new engine or get them to fix it. It's, it's have a contract which says yeah. you look after them. And, and that's almost the concept. Yeah, we have to replicate that in across domestic economies as well, which exactly. I guess is where things like car sharing and those sorts of ideas come in. I, th I think that's great, but let, let's just keep in, in perspective the fact that, that, that most people don't have a good waste management system and they're dumping waste yeah. and therefore it's producing methane which you know from a from a global impact perspective is having a disastrous effect on the climate yeah so you know yes new business models for developed countries are, are fantastic and and but that's you know it, it's great but sort of missing the big issue in my view yeah so your is, real call to action is that we need to replicate the good quality systems we have here in other parts of the world, in other economies. In order it to, is, yes. I yeah, think that's absolutely them. a key drive. That, that's a, that should be a key global aim. I yeah. think I think it should be um, a human right that everybody on the planet has waste collection systems. It is. I mean, sanitation. You cannot, yes, yeah. sa sanitation. So, so yeah. you can see that. Good that, sanitation. Yes, yeah. yes. So, so yeah. I think the public health aspect of waste management crisis is absolutely right. We worry here about, about our cars and our future services and the rest of the planet suffers you know, from low mortality in terms of children, in terms of diseases, just because of the fact that they live next to, to where they, you know, people people live and die and do other things. So, so you know, we, there is a public health concern across the world and how we address it, it definitely requires a lot of investment mm -hmm. to, towards these economies. Mm -hmm. and. It, 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 it's also back to us because you know you can see migration, you can see you can see how we depend in these economies because of where our food is produced, because of where our products. Are. You know we have a benefit to, to help them develop those systems. Yeah, yeah. We could talk about this for hours, but unfortunately we're running out of time. Thank you both so much. I mean that was absolutely fascinating insight into the work that you're doing and into some of the challenges that we face collectively as 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 nations on the planet not just individually with our own recycling but i guess our first call would be to people to be more aware and to do more here but also maybe push this agenda wider so you know call people out ask these questions make these these demands known nick chris thank you so much for joining us on planet pod it's been absolutely fascinating thank you thank you planet pod is brought to you by akil management my thanks to our producer jim haywood and our researcher, Beth Palmer. And to you, our listeners, without you, we'd be very lonely. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at planet underscore pod, or visit our website. Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you with ideas for future programmes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>